From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is a special episode of Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler. Georgia wasn't the only battleground state where Donald Trump tried to change his 2020 election defeat, but it was home to his most brazen efforts. Uh, if we could just go over some of the numbers, I think it's pretty clear that we won. We won very substantially, uh, Georgia. When the right answer comes out, you'll be praised. Even after elections officials counted and recounted the presidential race, made painstaking rebuttals to fraud claims large and small, and legally certified the election, Trump and his allies did not stop the pressure campaign to alter the outcome. The former president publicly and privately called for officials to fraudulently declare him the victor. 16 Republicans signed documents falsely claiming to be the state's electoral college representatives, and as lawsuit after lawsuit failed, a scheme to unlawfully copy data from a rural county elections office unfolded in a last-ditch effort to prove unprovable claims. And it wasn't just top Republicans that drew the ire of the president's supporters. Election workers, particularly two Fulton County women, faced death threats, in-person harassment, and unrelenting pressure directed by the most powerful person in the country. I've lost my name, and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. All because a group of people, starting with number 45, and his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter, Shay, to push their own lies about how the presidential election was stolen. All of those efforts by the former president and his allies may soon result in criminal charges for those involved. On this episode, we go deeper into Trump's efforts to overturn the results of Georgia's election and how prosecutors are likely to show his actions were tantamount to leading a criminal enterprise. In our last episode, we explored a series of legislative hearings held in December 2020 where Trump associates like Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman tried to convince Republican lawmakers they could toss out the election results and select their own slate of presidential electors. This is probably the worst situation of voter fraud we've ever had in this country. Georgia is one example of it. You know there are other examples of it, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, Nevada, um, just to name a few. And you, and in your case, you have documentary evidence of it. This is, uh, whatever, whatever the result, this election is going to live in history. Many of these hearings happened after Georgia election workers finished a third count of the presidential race. Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Governor Brian Kemp certified the results, and the 16 Democrats who were, by law, the state's official electoral college representatives met and signed their official documents in the state capitol, led by gubernatorial nominee Stacey Abrams. I am pleased to announce that Joseph R. Biden has received 16 votes for president of the United States. Speaking of electoral college votes, the next prong of the plan to keep Trump in office was taking place on the second floor of the state capitol while Abrams and fellow Democrats were doing their duty as Georgia's official electors in the House chambers. Sixteen Republicans in that meeting, shrouded in secrecy and duplicity, signed paperwork claiming that they too were Georgia's official electors. Sources confirm the Trump campaign asked Georgia Republicans to keep the meeting of those false electors at the state capitol a secret. 
they met right behind this door. Now, we had no prior knowledge that that meeting was going to happen. We only saw it because we were already here covering the official electors. There we found Georgia GOP Chair David Schaefer and other alternate electors casting their votes for Donald Trump. Among those alternate electors was current GOP nominee for Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones. The meeting was part of a multi-state plan to have Republican electors gather and sign documents claiming to be the official representatives of their state in hopes that the courts, state legislatures, or Congress would deem them valid over the Democratic slates on or before January 6th when the Electoral College met. One of the architects of that plan is a previously unknown lawyer, Kenneth Cheesebro, who authored a memo outlining how these alternate electors could fulfill their aim in six states, including Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and of course Georgia, but he noted the prospect was, quote, somewhat dicey in the Peach State. Another individual potentially at risk of being charged is Jeffrey Clark, a former Department of Justice official who authored an unsent letter to Georgia leaders that would have falsely claimed the Justice Department had, quote, identified significant concerns that may have impacted the outcome of the elections, citing a conspiracy-laden letter from an outgoing state senator and recommending a special legislative session to, quote, decide between any competing slates of elector certificates. Clark was named as an unindicted co-conspirator in Trump's federal charges earlier this month, stemming from the 2020 election. Documents uncovered in the aftermath also found Trump counsel Jenna Ellis and scholar John Eastman, who told Georgia lawmakers the Constitution allowed them to reject the outcome and select their own elector slate, also wrote memos supporting these fraudulent electors as a method to give Trump a victory instead of Biden. Eastman, in particular, used three false statements about Georgia to urge Vice President Mike Pence to reject the lawful slate of electors, including claiming the Secretary of State changed absentee signature verification requirements through an unauthorized settlement agreement, using portable polls that, quote, targeted to heavily Democrat areas, and refusal by state courts to assign a judge to hear the Trump campaign's election challenge. On the first point, Raffensperger's office repeatedly explained that the settlement in a lawsuit filed by Democrats over absentee ballot verification was not unauthorized, it did not weaken the requirements to verify ballot signatures, and did not result in fraud. On the second point, Fulton County used two buses fitted with voting machines during early voting that rotated evenly throughout all parts of the county, not just in Democratic areas, and complied with state law that is, before Republicans changed the law in 2021 to remove them as an option, while the third assertion stemmed more from the campaign's lawyers incorrectly filing the challenge and failing to request a different judge. Eventually, though, the Trump campaign dropped all legal challenges. Under Georgia's racketeering law, those who falsely claimed to be electors could be charged as part of a RICO case with forgery and making false statements and writings, plus the potential for additional charges of false swearing. And Trump allies that helped orchestrate and support the scheme could face charges of soliciting those false statements and forgery. Not all of the unofficial electors in Georgia will be charged for their roles based on public filings stemming from the special purpose grand jury investigation. One elector, current Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, successfully halted Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis from investigating him because of a conflict of interest, since Willis held a fundraiser for a Democrat that would eventually be Jones' general election opponent. At least eight of the 16 took immunity deals from prosecutors, according to court filings, but that does not appear to include two of the more high-profile figures in this saga, David Schaefer and Kathy Latham. 
Schaefer, as the former chair of the Georgia Republican Party, was a constant in pushing false claims about the election in the months after the polls closed and led the meeting of the fake electors. He also falsely claimed the call between Trump and Raffensperger was doctored and that the conversation was a confidential, quote, settlement discussion for the pending lawsuits to reverse the election. Latham is a slightly different story and leads us to the next prong in the post-certification plans down in rural Coffee County. A security breach in a South Georgia election office. So they want to know if it was actually connected to the former President Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Latham was the Coffee County GOP chair and heavily involved in the state party apparatus, including serving as a fake elector. She was also involved in the plan that took place after the January 6th insurrection to illegally copy election data and analyze it for alleged evidence of fraud. We scanned every freaking ballot and the elections director and her assistant lost their job, okay, and have yet learned zero mm -hmm. about all of that effort. Coffee County is not exactly a bastion of liberal politics. 70% of its voters cast ballots for Trump, but its former election supervisor Misty Hampton, Latham, and others were convinced that making copies of virtually every part of election infrastructure in the county would help prove Trump actually won the statewide election. In fact, Coffee County's elections board had caused waves in the aftermath of the presidential race by refusing to certify the results of the recount, citing problems with their voting equipment the state says was human error. The January 2021 data breach was organized in part by Sidney Powell, a lawyer who was most notable for filing the so-called Kraken lawsuit in Georgia that made wild conspiratorial claims about Georgia's Dominion voting machines having ties to Venezuela and foreign government coups while alleging hundreds of thousands of illegal votes were cast in the state. Powell was also involved in a meeting at the White House trying to convince Trump to use the military to confiscate voting machines and to make her a special czar to investigate alleged fraud, something that never materialized. Other figures involved in the Coffee County breach include Scott Hall, an Atlanta bail bondsman who helped with the scanning, Doug Logan, who also ran a firm that oversaw a costly partisan audit of the 2020 election in Arizona's Maricopa County, an audit that concluded Biden won by even more than originally thought, and Jeffrey Lindbergh, who spent hours in the election office over the course of several days with machines and other election-related items, according to surveillance videos. State elections officials have replaced all the equipment in Coffee County, Hampton is no longer the supervisor, and it's likely that several people involved with the county's data breach could face both RICO charges and standalone charges for breaking other laws dealing with computer trespass and election law violations. Coming up after the break, a pair of secretly recorded calls with the former president provide an unvarnished look at just how far Trump was willing to go to convince fellow Republicans to violate their oaths and overturn the election that he did not win. DBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. This is Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler, and we're discussing the post-certification plot to steal Georgia's election, spearheaded by former President Trump. 
It was a call unlike anything anyone had heard before. Everyone, I'm going to come with you through to POTUS momentarily. One moment. Donald Trump was on a phone call, joined by his chief of staff Mark Meadows, lawyer Cleta Mitchell, who was also part of the plan to overturn the election, plus other Georgia-based attorneys. On the other end of the line was Raffensperger, the Secretary of State's Office General Counsel Ryan Germany, and another aide to discuss with the former president what he was largely saying in public, that the election was stolen. Trump dove headfirst into false claims after exchanging brief pleasantries. We appreciate the time and the call. Um, so we've spent a lot of time on this, and uh, if we could just go over some of the numbers, I think it's pretty clear that we won. We won very substantially, uh, Georgia. Uh, you even see it by rally size, frankly. We'd be getting 25, 30,000 people a rally, and uh, the competition would get less than 100 people, and it never made sense. But we have a, a number of things. We have at least two or three, anywhere from 250 to 300,000 ballots were dropped mysteriously into the rolls. Much of that had to do with uh, Fulton County. Uh, which hasn't been checked. We think that if you check the signatures, a real check of the signatures going back in Fulton County, you'll find at least a couple of hundred thousand of uh, forged signatures of uh, people with uh, that who's, who have been forged. Uh, and uh, we are quite sure that's going to happen. From there, the conversation devolved into Trump rattling off numbers of alleged fraudulent votes that were already publicly proven false and attacking two Fulton election workers we've already mentioned. We had uh, at least 18,000 that's on tape. We had them counted very painstakingly. 18,000 voters uh, having to do with uh, Ruby Friedman. That's, uh, she's a vote scammer, a professional vote scammer and hustler. Ruby Freeman, uh, that is, uh, that was the tape that's been shown all over the world that makes everybody look bad. As a sidebar, mother-daughter election workers Freeman and Shay Moss were key witnesses in the Democrat-led U.S. House investigation into the lead-up of January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, with emotional testimony from Moss about the harassment they faced following Trump's false allegations. I felt horrible. I felt like it was all my fault, like... If I would have never decided to be an elections worker, like, I could have done anything else, but that's what I decided to do. And now people are lying and spreading rumors and lies and attacking my mom. The crux of the call, which an angry Trump constantly pressured the Secretary of State to do something about the already certified thrice-counted election, also saw Trump tell the Georgians that they would face consequences for not acquiescing. It's more illegal for you than it is for them because you know what they did and you're not reporting it. That's a, you know, that's a criminal, that's a criminal offense. And, and you know, you can't let that happen. That's, that's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyer. That's a big risk. But they are shredding ballots, in my opinion, based on what I've heard, and they are removing machinery uh, and they're moving it as fast as they can, both of which are criminal fines, and you can't let it happen, and you are letting it happen. Oh, you know, I mean, I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have, because we won the state, 
Raffensperger was also asked about the call in the January 6th hearings and about his remarks telling Trump that the data he was sharing was simply incorrect. Mr. Secretary, was the president here asking you for exactly what he wanted? One more vote than his opponent. What I knew is that we didn't have any votes to find. We had continued to look. Uh, we investigated, like I just shared the numbers with you. There were no votes to find. That was an accurate count that had been certified. And as our general counsel said, there was no shredding of ballots. Mr. Secretary, after making this request, the president then goes back to the danger of having you deny these allegations of fraud. Let's listen to that part of the clip. And I watched you this morning and you said, uh, well, there was no criminality. But I, I mean, all of this stuff is, is very dangerous stuff. It's, when you talk about no criminality, I think it's very dangerous for you to say that. It wasn't just Trump pushing for an unlawful action on the call. Meadows, who also showed up unannounced at a Georgia Bureau of Investigation audit of absentee ballot envelope signatures mid-December, offered his pressing two cents, too. Mr. Secretary, uh, one of the, obviously uh, there is uh, there are allegations where we believe that uh, not every vote or fair vote and legal vote was was counted, uh, and that's at odds with the representation from the Secretary of State's office. Uh, what I'm hopeful for is is there some way that we can we can find uh, some kind of an agreement to. To, uh, to look at this a little bit more fully, uh, you know, the president mentioned Fulton County, but in some of these areas where there seems to be uh, a difference uh, of where the facts uh, seem to lead. And so, Mr. Secretary, I was uh, hopeful that, you know, in a spirit of uh, cooperation and compromises, there, there's something that uh, we can at least have a discussion to look at some of these allegations uh, to to, uh, to find a, a path forward that's less litigious. Meadows also helped orchestrate a call between Trump and Francis Watson, a Georgia election investigator helping with a GVI audit. Trump also asked Watson to find fraudulent ballots that would overturn the election, asking her to go beyond the scope of the audit and focus on Fulton County, asking her to do, quote, whatever you can do. Here's discussion of that call from a U.S. House January 6th committee hearing. Whatever you can do, Francis. This is the President of the United States calling an investigator looking into the election in which he is a candidate and asking her to do whatever you can do. Mr. Secretary, he placed this call to your chief investigator on September 23, 2020. The select committee has received text messages indicating that Mark Meadows wanted to send some of the investigators in her office, in the words of one White House aide, a shitload of POTUS stuff, including coins, actual autographed MAGA hats, etc. White House staff intervened to make sure that didn't happen. It was clear at the time of this call that the former president had his sights set on January 6th. Listen to this portion when he told Francis Watson about a very important date. You think they'll be working after Christmas and keep it going fast? Because, you know, we have that date of the 6th, which is a very important date. That important date, of course, was the joint session of Congress, where Georgia's electoral votes would be counted for Joe Biden. The now infamous call between Trump and Raffensperger is worth a listen on its own, as the most powerful politician in America tries to order officials to subvert the will of the voters. So, so what are we going to do here, folks? I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, 
I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. Uh, you know, we have that in spades already. Or we can keep it going. But that's not fair to the voters of Georgia because they're going to see what happened. What's also remarkable is to hear Raffensperger and Ryan Germany, his general counsel, so calmly and methodically push back against a rising narrative embraced by so many in the Republican Party. Mr. Secretary, is there any way that you could have lawfully changed the result in the state of Georgia and somehow explained it away as a recalculation? No, the numbers are the numbers. The numbers don't lie. We had many allegations and we investigated every single one of them. In fact, I challenged my team, did we miss anything? They said that there was over 66,000 underage voters. We found that there was actually zero. You can register to vote in Georgia. When you're 17 and a half, you have to be 18 by election day. We checked that out, every single voter. They said that there was 2,423 non-registered voters. There was zero. They said that there was 2,056 felons. We identified less than 74 or less that were actually still on felony sentence. Every single allegation we checked, we ran down the rabbit trail to make sure that our numbers were accurate. So there's no way you could have recalculated it except uh, by fudging the numbers. The numbers were the numbers, and we could not recalculate because we had made sure that we had checked every single allegation. And we had many investigations. We had nearly 300 from the 2020 election. Other calls made by Trump include outreach to Governor Brian Kemp and Attorney General Chris Carr, though we don't have recordings of those. But they all factor heavily into likely charges for Trump when the DA presents this case to the grand jury sometime this week. Under the state RICO law, it's possible Trump could be found to have committed the predicate acts of false statements and writings, influencing witnesses, solicitation of false statements and writings, and solicitation of false swearing. It's also likely prosecutors will allege that the calls, hearings, and push for a special legislative session to appoint alternate electors were an attempt to force a fraudulent outcome in Georgia's election. Then there was the scheme to access election data and the threats to election workers and politicians that could run afoul of other laws too, including solicitation to commit election fraud, felony interference with primaries and elections, and conspiracy to commit election fraud. While we don't know how many people will be charged, what they're charged with, and how that will play out in a broader RICO case, we do know that Donald Trump's legal jeopardy is perhaps more severe in Georgia than his other cases, namely because any pardon would have to come from the State Board of Pardons and Paroles and could not come until after any sentence is completed. We also know that the efforts to change Georgia's electoral votes failed, but the lasting attacks on the election system and voters' faith in it have been successfully damaged in the eyes of a sizable chunk of Republican voters. Trump and his allies have already begun attacking the Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis beyond frivolous court motions and statements questioning her credibility. And those attacks are likely to increase exponentially following any Trump indictment. on the next episode of Battleground Ballot Box. If an indictment came today, we would be ready. Already, orange barriers have popped up outside the courthouse that would host an arraignment for the former president in Fulton County. We, we look forward to an opportunity to show the world that we are ready. We look at the preparation and implementation of sprawling indictments, once they come, of those who tried and failed to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Who will face the music, what laws did they break, and how will this play out in both the courtroom and the court of public opinion? Tune in next time.
Battleground Ballot Box is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting and is produced by Chase McGee. Our engineer is Jake Cook, our editor is Josephine Bennett, and the theme music was created by me, Stephen Fowler. Subscribe to our show at gpb.org battleground or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.